often what I found is customers generally prefer you focus on making the core experience better than trying to get fancy and add additional product offerings on top of each other. Welcome to the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast, powered by Gusto. On this show, we explore the intersection of fintech, vertical SaaS, and how software combats the rising complexity of running a business. Our goal is to share stories, advice, and best practices from the leaders and investors behind today's cutting-edge platforms. Here's your host, Brian Bush. Welcome, everyone. My name is Brian Bush, and I'm the host for this episode of the SMB Tech Innovators Podcast. Today, my guest is Victoria Lee, co-founder and CTO of Herd, the financial back office solution for therapists, and one of the newest members of Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Victoria, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Brian. And congratulations again. That's quite an honor to be on that list. Thank you. So let's start by telling the audience a bit about yourself, your career journey, and what led you to founding Herd. Yeah. So tech and computer science was never something on my radar, surprisingly enough. I grew up in Hong Kong and startups, technology, computer science wasn't really a big industry there. And so when I decided to attend MIT, it was to become a neuroscientist. Long story short, really fell in love with sort of the coding part of the work that I was doing there. I think there's something about the ability to create something from nothing that felt very powerful and magical. And I think this is something that a lot of maybe engineers specifically resonate with. And so moved to the Bay Area after graduation, started off in software engineering, and just found myself moving to smaller and smaller companies and have always taken an interest in what it would be like to start something from scratch. I had met Andrew, my co-founder, through a mutual friend of ours. And both of us really bonded just over our own personal journeys in mental health. I won't share Andrew's story, but speaking for myself, mental health wasn't something that was talked about in my household, wasn't really shared in where I grew up. And it wasn't until I saw my first therapist that I was really able to verbalize some of the things that I was feeling. And so both of us decided to join and start something in this space and really wanted to give back to this group of folks, the therapists that have really given both of us so much. And that is essentially how Herd started. And so we founded Herd in 2019. We went through a couple of pivots and eventually ended up to where we are today, building the financial back office for therapists. That's an incredible journey. And especially you can hear the thread of creativity, creation woven into sort of the personal need around mental health. I'm curious though, let's take the next step and unpack for the audience just a little bit. Why do therapists today need a purpose-built back office solution Or maybe to say it differently, what's changing in mental health that our listeners are probably not aware of? Yeah, I think I can point to maybe three big changes over the past couple of years that has really highlighted the need for therapists to be supported in building their businesses. First, and I think this is very clear to anybody in the space and maybe to you as well, is that there is a very large gap between the folks that can provide mental health care and the folks that do need mental health care. So supply of therapists clearly lag the demand for their skill sets and their expertise. 
And this was something that was highlighted specifically during the pandemic, which really put a big spotlight on mental health and highlighted this gap between the need and the supply. Second big change, one thing that has been very clear from the pandemic is how a therapist's work has clearly changed. Therapists now have the ability to work from home with telehealth, mm. and generally they have a lot of optionality around how they decide to serve their clients. So whether that's through a group practice or through an EAP or through insurance or through private pay, therapists really have a wealth of options to serve their clients. And what that means is that therapists nowadays are less likely to just jump into a job or jump into a hospital or group practice, but are more likely to experiment and figure out what works for them. And the third biggest theme here, and I think this is true for most business owners, is just a desire to be independent. We are seeing a large desire from therapists to really own their schedule to own the work that they're doing, to really have control over the types of clients that they're seeing and how they're working with those clients. And I think that combined with the optionality that therapists do have, have increased their appetite for really building their own business, which leads us to sort of the bread and butter of building businesses, which is as a business owner, which therapists now are, they do need a specific back office solution to help them manage some of the nuances of their businesses. I appreciate that. Gusto has done a lot of research around this. We saw an incredible number of new business starts through the course of the pandemic. And I have to imagine that a lot of the therapists that you're talking about or serving now were part of that cohort of, hey, the world has changed. It's time for us to lean in and let's start my own business. Let's go out on my own, especially with that wealth of options that you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. And I almost like to parallel it to the creator economy, you know, where if you were a creator nowadays, you have the optionality to you know, work on YouTube or write a blog or do this or do that. And I think therapists are also seeing a wealth of opportunity for themselves, not just in being a therapist, but also through other means as someone with mental health expertise. So let's talk a little bit more deeply. You're on the other side of the equation in the sense of you're building the technology product for these therapists, for these new small business owners. Tell me if it's safe to assume, like many phys physicians, I would assume that many therapists get fairly little training on how to actually run their business. Yeah. It's always such an amorphous term or nebulous term, which is like, how do I run my business? What does that actually mean for me as a business owner? You're totally right. Therapists go to grad school, but nowhere in their curriculum do they talk about sort of all the things that happen behind the doors, if you will. And actually one of the most common things and that the reason why herd is what it is today is our customers repeatedly telling us, I went to a grad school to become a therapist. I know how to be a therapist. What I need help with is all of this business stuff. I don't even know what I don't know. You know, how do I think about paying myself? How do I think about taxes? What is bookkeeping? Do I need bookkeeping? There's all of these big questions that ultimately therapists want to streamline, get off their plates so that they can focus on what actually matters to them, which is helping their clients. Traditionally, you know, what therapists may do is potentially hire an accountant, bring in an admin assistant, but there is a gap here, which is as a therapist, you're not equipped and you're not educated around what it takes 
to run your own business. That makes sense. Let's just go a level deeper. What specifically are you building with Herd? What's exciting about building with Herd? Or maybe to say it a different way with your CTO hat on, why can't these therapists just use QuickBooks? That's a great question. And I always think it's the classic vertical and horizontal conversation. So a couple of reasons why building a solution specifically for therapists is so impactful. And this is true for any sort of vertical embedded product or technology here. The first and foremost, like you have an incredibly clear view of who your customers are and the pain points that they are feeling. Specifically in our case, we have a very clear understanding of a therapist's business, what a therapist PL looks like on average. And we're able to build a more opinionated and ultimately better product to serve their customer needs. And the specificity, I think, is very important when you're building a vertical solution. Second piece, I think we have the opportunity to really leverage technology and actually build a software company. Often what you may find with some of these horizontal approaches is they are throwing humans in the loop and maybe buffering some of that tech with people. And with a specific customer segment that you're focused on, you can really streamline and automate and dial in into all of the common workflows. So this can be automation, but it can even be the productization of a therapist-specific flow that someone or a company like QuickBooks may not prioritize or build. Mm. And then the last piece, which is probably core to how we think about building our vertical integration is we're able to really strip away unnecessary features and focus on what really matters to our customers. So oftentimes back office solutions can look like a matrix of a bajillion different features, and it's hard for a customer to really understand why they need X or why they need Y. And because we're focused on this specific segment, we can really streamline and only surface the key three or four features that matters to their business. Victoria, I think that's an incredible insight. To some extent, when you're building for a very specific customer base, it's actually about stripping away functionality in this case, rather than adding more things on. I'm curious, what's an example? You mentioned, hey, we can automate things that otherwise a horizontal platform like a QuickBooks might have people or manual effort or manual data transfer sort of buffering some of the non-specificity of the solution. What's an example? Or maybe just talk us through how does a therapist use Herd in their daily basis running their practice? Yeah, so a therapist interacts with Herd I would say mostly on a weekly basis. And so we do provide a live platform where all of their information is being pulled from their disparate sources and consolidated and surfaced on our platform. Like a dashboard, for example, or reporting, for example, all of these are live views into how our customers' businesses are doing. On a more quarterly and yearly basis, therapists interact with her, maybe similar to how business owners might use Gusto, just making sure that things are compliant, things are working, things are going great. As a business owner, your taxes are filed, everything's good. And I think there is an element of assurance that comes with that, right? Because previously, what a therapist would need to do is to maybe go into QuickBooks, 
or their spreadsheets or whatever app they use and do all of it themselves. They'll need to find information from these different software services they're using and compile it on their own. And so they're losing that clarity and losing that ease of use that does come with using a vertical platform like Herd. But to answer your first question, which is, what are some things that we can optimize because we are a vertical solution or a vertical product? I think one really great example actually is through Gusto's embedded payroll. So previously, before our embedded solution or embedded launch, we actually referred a lot of our customers to Gusto to set up their own payroll. This was a core need for their business in order to pay themselves and to pay their employees and contractors. Mm -hmm. What we found was Gusto's onboarding experience serves a wealth of small business owners. And what that meant was a lot of the questions and a lot of the nuances really tripped up our users. Hmm. And so by embedding the Gusto payroll experience into Herd and launching Herd Embedded Payroll, we were able to strip out some of those questions, strip out some of those options that one, were confusing to our customers, two, didn't really need to be answered by them, and three, what that meant was a more optimized, user-friendly experience for them to onboard to payroll. Absolutely. And we are thrilled to partner with Herd and very excited for where this partnership might go in the future. I'm curious though, Victoria, how much interaction is there or does there need to be with call it the front office for a therapist? And I'm thinking a number of the other vertical SaaS platforms that serve small, medium businesses that we're working with or talking to, they often also deal with, say, client scheduling, as well as, say, holding accounts or providing some basic accounting features, as well as, of course, providing payroll, some of those back office features. I'm curious, is that roadmap for you? Do you see for therapists specifically, there's actually a distinction and that's not a direction that Herd will need to go in order to serve clients in the future? Yeah, I don't know if I have a specific answer for you because it's something that we're still thinking about transparently. I think one thing to call out here is for us, it's very important to maintain optionality for our customers. And what that means is if we were to move into the front office space, whether that's client scheduling or appointment reminders or anything like that, I think it is important to allow our customers to have the option to schedule those appointments in the shape or form that works for them. Mm-hmm. And so what where the challenge lies there is we will need to be a little bit more nuanced around when we invest those resources into that software. Indeed. So I'd love to get your advice for the other CTOs out there who are likely listening. And again, we are thrilled to partner on payroll. You also have partnerships with Bluevine and LegalZoom. So I'm curious, let's talk about what it means to look at a partner's API. So specifically around embedded partners, what do you look for to maybe make a good API or what constitutes a good embedded partner in your mind? Yeah. On the technical side, I think it really is about competency. So specifically, how competent do we believe this team is in delivering a really, really great embedded product to us? And the first thing we look at is documentation. And documentation, I think, is a very critical part of how we decide who to work with. 
you'd be surprised how often documentation doesn't match up with what actually happens in the API. Mm -hmm. And what that tells me is the team doesn't really care about the dev experience, which decreases my confidence in their ability to create great software. And so the most important thing is, does the API actually do what the documentation says it does? Does the documentation give me all the information I need to be successful in my role or in my job? Second piece, which I think adds on to this, is how quickly does the team resolve bugs? Ultimately, I am placing a bet on this team, right, in order to partner with them. And so their ability to execute has a direct impact on our ability to succeed. So it's very critical to me that they invest heavily in their ability to resolve bugs and help us get across the line there. And the final piece that I look at is support. As a team developing on their platform, am I going to be given a direct line of support when building? Will I have access to their engineers or their support team to really help us out in this process? Because ultimately, it's a partnership, it's a collaboration. I'm hoping that both our incentives are aligned. And what that means is that we should help each other succeed. Absolutely. Well, maybe just to go deeper there, do you have a metric or a place you look? How do you assess a partner's ability, especially before you dive in and sort of make in a commitment, start building on an API? Do you have a way that you can assess that concept of how quickly or how well they resolve bugs? Yeah. So I think generally our approach is to do a very low level partnership first before committing to a build together. So in the case of Gusto, I think we partnered together and we referred out a lot of our customers to Gusto. And that gave us a really great teaser into one just Gusto's competency as a company and also on the more technical or detailed level, how your support team was able to manage our requests and our needs. So if possible, I generally like to try things out with a low effort, non-critical project. But when you are in the build itself, I think it is a little bit tricky and it can be hard to penetrate that black box of does this team actually have the ability to deliver what they said they'll deliver? And so a lot of my research or a lot of my assessment just comes through reference calls with other folks who have used the platform and deep diving there. Yeah. Do you ever start building with two kind of comparable partners simultaneously, sort of at that low testing level, just so you can get a feel and start to dive in a little bit more? Or do you generally use those reference calls to kind of pick your primary partner, but then still de-risk? by sort of managing the level of effort that you put into a build until you kind of have a better feel? Mm, yeah. So we do do really low-level prototypes. I think the tricky thing is with a lot of these embedded partners, the bugs and the nuances come when you're getting into the edge cases and the nitty-gritty of things. Mm. So often I found that prototypes doesn't tell you the full story. I think in the future, that will be a great pathway forward for us. But at this point, we are relatively small and relatively resource constrained. And so we rely pretty heavily on reference calls. Yep. So what Mary you say is de-risk, test small, but know that that initial prototype that somebody may even guide you towards probably isn't telling the whole story. Yep, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about Roadmap. 
Victoria, before we started recording, you mentioned that you and your co-founder, Andrew, chat often about your, your fintech roadmap, and this is beyond payroll. So I would say a question that we hear very often from product and engineering leaders like yourself is there's a wealth of new embedded fintech options out there. It could be cards, it could be credit, just name it. And any financial related service is probably embeddable now or soon will be. So how do you think about which products, especially finance products, are relevant to your customers? And then two, which ones do you build first? What advice would you give for other folks listening out there today? This is like one of our investors' favorite conversation topics, and they call it the second act, if you will. I think it's a very, very hard question to answer because ultimately it completely depends on the customers you're serving and your business goals. Like what does five years, 10 years out look like for your company? But I think the one thing to highlight is to actually do the deep work of does understanding or answering the question, does this actually add value to our customers? Or is this a choice we're building or a choice that we're making because there's some internal metric that we want to solve for, right? Whether that's an investor or whether that's an internal ego thing, but are your customers actually asking for this? And often what I found is customers generally prefer you focus on making the core experience better than trying to get fancy and add additional product offerings on top of each other. But let's say you do answer that question and you do identify, yes, this is a incredibly painful pain point that customers are begging for us to solve. And my second question there is, are there points in the customer journey where it makes sense for you, the company, to offer this embedded product? Are there inflection points in your customer journey that you are sort of responsible for that you can then tap into and sell this new product offering. I find that often folks sort of overestimate their ability to convert those customers Hmm. and underestimate their ability to resolve the pain of switching. So a really great example might be like a new bank or creating your own banking product. In this case, how confident are you in your ability to absorb the switching costs or switching pain points for customers in order for them to use your banking product, right? And so those are just some general questions that Andrew and I talk a lot about. And then the last piece is around execution. Like, Are there ways you can confirm your hypothesis before you actually invest a ton of resources? So again, in the case of payroll for herd, We had a hypothesis that payroll was going to be a big pain point for our customers. We were able to confirm this very quickly by just offering that quick referral to Gusto and helping them get set up there, which then proved or validated our hypothesis and gave us the confidence to then invest in building that embedded solution. That makes sense. So I'm hearing three key points. Ask the really hard-nosed question about where this new feature or product adds value for customers. To think about where in the customer journey, you're going to be able to actually sell this. It's about the business goals, not just about building a new feature. And then three, look for ways you can confirm the hypothesis before you really dive in. Maybe a follow-up, Victoria. In some sense, I feel you mentioned banking as a service or holding accounts. To some extent, when you think about embedded fintech products, that hasn't existed before for customers. 
So do you have any experience or have any advice on how do you talk to your customers or assess if they, beyond sort of the referral example you mentioned, how can you assess if customers would actually find something valuable when in their minds, these have been two separate things for the existence of their business or for all of the journey that they've known with a software product? Yeah. Just to reflect that question back is how do we highlight the benefits of this net new embedded fintech product Mm. to a customer or a set of customers that maybe have not experienced that previously. Am I hearing that question correctly? Yeah. That's tricky. And I don't think I have a great framework or like a formula by which we've been able to do it. I think for us, a lot of this just comes from user discovery and generative research through conversations with our customers. Mm -hmm. And then one, just really doing that deep and active listening. And then two, maybe then bringing up blue sky, greenfield type conversations. Like, like what if this existed? What if that existed? But ultimately it comes down to showing customers what you mean, right? It's often easy to hear something and say, oh yeah, that's really great. Oh yeah, I would want to do that. And that is not necessarily what is true for them. So if possible, have the opportunity to how to prototype something, you know, share something, get it in front of them and then get their feedback there. Okay. Well, if you're willing to, can we chat specifically a little bit, what are some embedded finance types of features that Herd specifically is considering or evaluating and why? Like you said, a lot of opportunities here, right? And I think it's easy to get in the trap of picking the one that feels the coolest or like the ones that all of the companies are doing. And for us, what's important is how do we help therapists be the best therapists they can be? And how do we remove some of the pain points that they see when running their business? And a lot of this is around as a self-employed individual, how do I stay afloat? How do I make sure that I'm taken care of? And so we've been exploring a little bit around just like benefits, additions to payroll, tax savings, streamlining taxes there, tax deductions, all of that stuff. But for new big product offerings, we are still doing the cost benefit analysis that you may expect around banking, around payments and invoicing, all of that good stuff. Hmm. Well, I appreciate that. And before we start recording, I know you mentioned that Herd has something of an advantage in that you're essentially seeing the entire cash flow for your customers or for these therapists. Do you think that gives you an advantage or do you think that is even necessary for folks to really think hard about how they build other finance products in-app? It is powerful being able to see how our customers spend their money and how our customers make their income. I think it gives a lot of really great signals around just ability to pay for a solution, desired solutions, opportunities where you may be able to grow as a product or as a business. I hesitate to say that this is something new products or new companies definitely should do, but this was the biggest pain point for our customers, right? Really coming down to 
hey, I just started out and I have no idea how much I'm making. I don't know if what I'm spending is on par with what other therapists are spending. I'm making X dollars. Is that enough? And so I hesitate to say this is the tried and true approach, but if the PL and if understanding income and expenses is important to your customers and there isn't a good solution in that industry for them, then it feels like a very meaningful starting point. Fair enough. And maybe as a last question, as you think about some of these roadmap options, are you mainly thinking about, say, the ARR potential if you build this, how much lift can that provide from a business standpoint? Or are there other sort of business metrics that you really keep in mind that help you ultimately make some of these decisions about where to go with the roadmap? Two pieces. First, I think you always have to think about the error potential there. What does this look like five, 10 years from now if we're really successful in launching this net new embedded product? But the second piece is how can this add more value to our core experience? Can this new product line increase the value of our existing product line? And if the answer is yes, then that option becomes a lot more compelling. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Victoria. So appreciate that you made a little bit of time to join us today and share some of your insights with our listeners. Before we wrap up, could you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media if they want to connect or go deeper on any of the topics from today? Thank you so much for having me, Brian. It was really fun. You can find her on joinher.com and I'm also on Twitter. So feel free to reach out to me there. Well, again, we're thrilled to partner. We're very excited to see where you take herd and the growth potential for this clearly underserved area that's doing an incredible amount of good in the world. And so for the audience, we'll link to any resources that were mentioned in today's show in the show notes. And thank you again for listening and keep a lookout for the next episode in about two weeks. Thank you for listening to the SMB Tech Innovators podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode of the SMB Tech Innovators podcast is brought to you by Gusto Embedded. Gusto has spent a decade building and testing its payroll, tax filing, and compliance infrastructure, which is available as a robust set of APIs so you can develop custom-tailored payroll solutions. For more information, go to embedded.gusto.com.